So water baptism happens because of salvation. Somebody has been saved. So in this church, we don't baptize children. The Bible is clear about humans grow and they have to come to a place where they have a moral consciousness. So children have a, a physical age, but they have a moral age. Uh, you know, Mbusi does not have a moral consciousness as yet. Yeah? He's a kid. He's a baby. He's an infant. Does not have a moral consciousness. Yeah. But the Bible talks about when a child comes to a place where they can distinguish between right and wrong. It means that their moral age is beginning to kick in. Amen? It means when they do something wrong, they know that it's wrong. And how do you know that? They start lying. <laughs> do you know that your kids lie? <laughs> Every parent knows it. Every parent here. You can look in the eye of your kid. You're lying right now. <laughs> lie is basically a cover-up. It's a form of a kid of covering up, of saying, I've done something wrong. It's a natural progression of life, actually. It's a form of cover-up. And obviously, you have to cultivate and move them out of lying. You know, Tell them that you're lying right now. I caught you. You know, and something very shameful when you're caught now lying. Look, shucks, I was lying. Like, you lie. You have a habit to lie, of lying, and stop it. You know? Um, and, but what is that signifying? Actually, it signifies that they now have conscience. They know they've done something wrong, and they don't want to be found that they've done something wrong. There's a moral age. And so, and so we don't baptize babies in this church. We don't sprinkle. We don't do those things. Um, you know, we don't do the sprinkling. Salvation is important. People must be convicted. And there is an age, and every kid is kind of different. I don't know when, you know, uh, it's difficult to say exactly when. Or, you know, some kids at age seven, they get saved. Age 10, they get saved. They know what they're doing. We cannot force them. We have to teach them, instruct them, preach the gospel to them, and leave the gospel in the household. Actually leave it, right? Because it's better taught through life, through, through, through an exhibition of life. We can't force them. Because, oh, yeah, in this, you're going to be a Christian in this family. <laughs> You know, we don't want to baptize, we don't want to baptize no kid that has been forced to be saved. <laughs> I, 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 I think he does not want to baptize no kid that has been forced to be saved. He's like, well, in this home, <laughs> we get saved. <laughs> we can't do that. But we actually have to preach it. We have to show to them that it is important and serious. And there's something such as eternal judgment. And they have to understand. And once their moral consciousness kicks in, they will understand it. They will understand it. And so at that point, at that point in time, they have to be taught and, 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 and obviously take a, a choice to be saved through Christ Jesus. The Bible talks about baptisms, plural. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 1 to 3. Therefore, 
Let us leave the elementary teachings about Christ and go on to maturity. Not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that leads to death, that lead to death and of faith in God, instruction about baptisms, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. The Bible talks about eternal judgment. And God permitting, we will do so. So the Bible talks about baptisms, plural, because there's different baptisms. There's baptism in the Holy Spirit. Uh, next weekend, we're, gonna, we're not going to be doing baptism in the Holy Spirit. We're going to be doing baptism in water. Baptism in water. So let's read some scriptures. Salvation, fundamentally, is baptism into Christ. Romans chapter 6, verses 1 to 4. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? So Paul is actually challenging the hyper-grace people here. Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means, he says. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. But don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? And so Paul is talking about this idea of new life, of salvation, meaning that I have been baptized into Christ. And the word baptized basically means to dip, you know, to, to be immersed into something, to, to soak into something. So the idea of salvation, when you get convicted in your heart and you get saved, it means you are now soaked into the nature of Christ. You're going to be walking the journey, uh, uh, soaking in, allowing Christ. It's almost like the, 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 the liquid, the water that you are now soaked in. You take on his nature. You take on his image. Salvation is baptism into Christ. And based on what we read in Romans 6, verses 1 to 4, baptism therefore signifies an adoption of a new life, of new moral standard. It means that, you know, your moral standard is changed. You now adopt not your own righteousness, but the righteousness of God. And that righteousness of God is being administrated by the Holy Spirit through your conscience. It is protected by Scripture. So we don't invent our own concept of what it means to be morally upright. Amen? Uh, because in a culture I grew up in, there is moral uprightness in the context of that culture. And for all of us in our cultures in which we grew up, there is a concept, an idea of moral uprightness. But when we get into Christ, he tells us what righteousness looks like. Amen? And we adopt that. So when we get saved, we embrace the righteousness of God. Galatians 3, verses 26 to 29. Galatians 3, verses 26 to 29. You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ, again, this idea of being baptized into Christ, have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. 
And that's Galatians 3, verses 26 to 29. Again, giving us the idea, salvation is baptism into Christ. But it further, further quantifies what that looks like in Galatians 3, verses 26 to 29. That when I get baptized, I'm adopting a new identity in Christ Jesus. It says there is neither Jew nor Greek, which means that I am Christ first before I am black and before I am South African. My identity in Christ transcends and precedes and um, uh, takes priority over my South African citizenship. It means that if I find myself you know, somehow conflicted in relation to my South African identity or my blackness, I need to defer for Christ. You know all the debates people have in social media about race and all these things? I am Christ before I am South African. I am Christ before I am black. I am Christ before I am white. It means I will not take the agenda of my blackness over the agenda of Christ. Or, you know, and then it says, there is neither slave nor free, which means I'm Christ before I assume my social identity. I am Christ. My identity in Christ precedes and supersedes my social, earthly identity. There are people that will not go to certain churches because they hold a certain social status in life. Because they have a particular job or a particular bank balance in their account. In other words, their social status supersedes that of their identity, their identity in Christ Jesus. And that's a problem, right? There are people that will choose church on the basis of I am black and I'm Indian and therefore let me go to, I'm white, therefore let me go to a white looking church or a black looking church or an Indian looking church. There is neither Jew nor Greek. Ethnicity is, of, is, 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 is secondary in terms of the identity matrix of your life, in terms of the identity makeup of your life. Christ supersedes your earthly identity, your race, your racial configuration. And so therefore, if we follow this word, it means you should not have black, Indian, white, you know, colored issues in church. You know, colored, we, we use the word colored in South African context. They will not use it in other contexts. It's not you know we use in South Africa. You 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 will not. You should not have those racial issues. I am Christ before I am black. I'm Christ before I am white. Before I'm Indian, I am Christ. There's neither slave nor free. I am Christ before I assume my social status in life. Then it says this: I, There's neither male nor female. Which means I'm Christ before I am a male. I am Christ before. I am a female. Amen? It means the agenda of being man and the agenda of being woman is secondary in relation to my identity in Christ Jesus. So baptism 
Baptism. When you get baptism by salvation, and then we put you in water, and it means, you know, you, you publicly identify with the Lord Jesus. It means you are now saying, my blackness is secondary. My South Africanness is secondary. You're now saying, my social standing in life is secondary. It's not important. So I'm not going to walk into church and expect to be treated with according to my social status in life. It also means my maleness and femaleness is secondary. The fact that a man or woman in relation to Christ is actually secondary. The agenda of being man and the agenda of being woman, where it collides with my identity in Christ, I will put it away because to be Christ is first. In other words, Christ is my ethnicity, Christ is my gender, and Christ is my social status. Amen? And if everybody adopts that principle, how beautiful that becomes of church in terms of community. You know, how beautiful that becomes. Then actually, there are no men in church standing for a men agenda or women in church standing for a woman agenda. So actually, Christ is, you know, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, he created us in his image. He created men and women in his image. Adam male and Adam female, in other words. It's the same Adam, same image, just different expressions. But it's the same God. So therefore, within that order of creation, there's no space for man versus woman that only begins at the time of the fall it is this woman that you gave to me right and the tension the gender and the domestic violence and the gender tensions begin there yeah we get we get that idea um, um uh, and so there is no there's no gender tensions in the order of creation of god but it means we have to discover a, a, a revelation of God's order of creation to be able to be empowered to walk in those realities. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor female, I mean slave nor free, male nor female, for you're all one in Christ. And so it brings us to that place of mutual identification, of oneness. People in church must identify with themselves. You can't say, you look Indian, you look black, you look Zulu, you look poor. I don't feel I can identify with you. Or I need another church that suits me. What do we mean by a church that suits you? Only Jesus has the authority to tell you which church suits you. Not your bank balance, not the car you drive, not the position you have. Only Jesus has the right to add you to the church. And to tell you what kind of church. Or we can't say, oh, this church is just you know, married people or single people. Those things actually in Christ, in God's order of creation, are non-factors. Should be non-factors. Or oh, I want a church of, because I've, I've lost a job before. I want a church of people who've lost job, uh, jobs before. <laughs> job losers church. What kind of church do we look for these days? I wonder, <laughs> boss, yeah, you, you, you know what that is? And I'm making a, you know, a joke, but actually these things happen. It means that your point of identification is not Christ, it's a human experience. And that's wrong already. That's wrong already. 
I want a church of, uh, you know, Ton Jeans Church. <laughs> yeah, it happens. Actually, Ton Jeans Church, or, uh, yeah, Job Losers Church, or SUVs Church, or Church by Profession. Yeah, it could be like medical doctors' church. No, it's actually true. It's very true. People look for... It's absolutely shocking. Oh, I want a church with good facilities. Good facilities, church. It's like, well, how about what Jesus thinks about what church you want? Or what church you need? Actually, it's really... The question is, what church do I need? And that's linked to my destiny. It's linked to all sorts of things. It's linked to the kind of experience I'm going to be going through in life, which I don't even know. I don't know what 2030 looks like in 2023. But all I know is I need an ecosystem of faith that when that moment comes, will prove to be the right environment for me. That's how... We go about. So Jesus adds to the churches. And this principle is neither Jew nor Greek, is important. Certainly in South Africa, race is a big thing. You know, white people look at it, it's kind of brown here. It's too brown for me. And brown people are like, it's too, it's too pink for me here. It's like it's too, it's, too, it's too brown, it's too pink, and people choose churches. And, oh, it's kind of worship. The kind of songs uh, Keegan is writing can determine <laughs> what members we get. I don't, yeah, I don't like the style of worship. What about the style of Jesus? Nobody has that conversation. Eh? It's like, wow, it's quite interesting. I don't like the style of worship. So you are looking for a musical experience. You're not looking for Jesus. Or you're looking for a particular wound. You're like, oh, these people are too healed for me. And <laughs> I need people that with, <laughs> with a step wound that looks like mine. That is what I'm going to go to church. Then because I'm going to identify. You know, the Bible actually doesn't speak about identifying with people's wounds. It says comfort one another on the basis of Jesus. Yeah? Comfort one another with the comfort of the Lord. That's what the Bible says, right? Okay, walk into a church and we want, yeah, it's full of men or women. Actually, gender doesn't actually, it's the church. It's constituted by Jesus. If it's a church constituted by Jesus and Jesus is adding me there, then that's my church. We can have five men and, 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 and 50 women. That's the church still. There is a, the deposit of Christ coming into that community every Sunday. Someone stands up to speak the word of the Lord. That's the church. It's constituted by the Holy Spirit. It means it, 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 is, it is well equipped to impart life into my heart. And to launch me into a journey into life. So it's not about, I can't hang on. I'm single and they married people. You know. 
Now, how many of us know that actually we'll be standing one by one before Jesus one day? I think I spoke to couples about that the one time. It means your ultimate identity is not your, your earthly marriage identity. That is just a, a context for you to live the life of Christ. And, and so therefore, they can sit with Londi and talk about the experience of Jesus. Yeah? And it really doesn't matter that one is married and the other is not. It's, that's not the issue. They, they are tracking the, 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 the experience and the convictions of those and how they are stewarding the rushes of God through life. Whether that is between, a, 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 you know, whether it's widow, widower, and married, it really doesn't matter. Young and old, it really doesn't matter. I should be able to sit with my Lucy as he grows in the Lord and have a one long proper conversation about Jesus. And not feel like I'm sitting with a, you know, with a teenager. Do, do we get this idea? Absolutely important. You're all sons of God through faith. You're all, right? Right? You're all. Across gender. It means I should be able to sit with mess across, across gender and talk about Jesus. And talk about the convictions of the Lord and the journey of the Lord and the formation of the, of, the Christ, of the Christ nature in me. So it is it, nothing that has to do with gender. If gender and age uh, are blocking that conversation, that the conversation is being held incorrectly. The issue is not, the system of God works. If it doesn't work, the issue is not God, the issue is us. And I'm really speaking into what does it mean to be baptized? And when we want people who are baptized, then our, our earthly identities have to be secondary here. The identity of Christ has to be primary. And then that becomes the primary connection. As Kai grows, I should be able to sit with Kai and have one long conversation about Jesus and come out of it fully edified and not feel like, oh, yeah, I was talking to a teenager. Ultimately, that's what God has done. God who's God has come here on earth and walked with a bunch of men. Yeah? And one long conversations about the kingdom of God. They were asking questions, sometimes silly questions. But he still, you know, he walks with them. I mean, he's, he's exemplifying the principle. Because otherwise, if, you know, what people take as, okay, I can only go to this kind of church or church that looks like me, meaning my social, earthly, or experiential identity then God should not have come here God should have remained in heaven I can't connect with these people the humans I'm God but what did he do he was God Philippians 2 right he put aside the fact that he was God and took a, a different identity I mean fundamental principle and, and these, are, <laughs> these are important principles of how you build a community It's the reason why then we're going to baptize, you know. So when we say we baptize Kai, and we, we, you know, you know it, that, that's the whole idea. It's like we receive you into the family of God, and we acknowledge your public confession of the Lord Jesus Christ. Baptism is full identification with the life of Christ, full identification with the life of Christ. His death and his resurrection. Colossians 2 verse 12. Colossians 2 verse 12. Having been buried with him 
in baptism and raised with him through your faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. Buried with, raised with are the two phrases I want us to underline there. Buried with, raised with. We fully identify with the Lord, his death and his resurrection. So water baptism is conducted by, uh, uh, you know, uh, dipping people in water. We don't sprinkle. If we talk about, it's a ritual that has been given by the Lord to us uh, where we dip people in water. We dip them because they have confessed the Lord Jesus Christ as, Jesus Christ as their Lord. They now have faith. So the, the water baptism is, is, the, is the outward manifestation of what has already taken place in the human heart. Yeah. It must be a person who has been convicted by the Lord. Absolutely important. Water baptism is a symbolism. It's a symbol. And the symbolism of water baptism is that it's a public declaration that we reject sin now. We reject darkness. We reject the world and its ways. And we are now given to the Lord and to his life. It's a public identification with the crucifixion and death of Jesus. And we die just as he has died. The symbolism is that we take you in water, we dip you in water, and then we pull you out, which is a sign of resurrection. It's a public identification with the resurrection of Jesus into new life. We have embraced a new creation identity as we read in Galatians. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if a man is in Christ, that man is a new creation. And new creation identity is important. And so when we get dipped in water and pull out, we have publicly confessed the embracing of a new creation identity. What that means is that we can't, therefore, next time see you on Facebook fighting for a black or white agenda in a context where it compromises your kingdom of God, your, your position in the kingdom of God. It means you are now in, acting in violation of the fact that you've been baptized into the Lord Jesus Christ. Or any other agenda for that matter. So the conditions of water baptism is faith in, in Jesus, rejection of sin, embracing new creation, identity, including church. We are one in church. So you can't be baptized and reject, we reject the church and not God. It's a, it's a biblically uh, nonsensical statement there. Our obedience to the word of Christ and we're living the life of being witnesses, as witnesses of the Lord. Faith in Jesus, rejection of sin, embracing new creation, obedience to the word, and living as a witness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lastly, let's just read this Exodus chapter 16, verses 13 to 15, when Lydia gets baptized. Exodus 16, verses 13 to 15. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me, do you see that? A sense of identification. This is a woman. She's inviting Paul and his team. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, 
come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. How amazing is that scripture? God opens your heart. She opens your house. She opens your resources. And it's a beautiful picture of community. What's happening? She gets baptized. She gets saved. She gets baptized into the Lord. And she assumes a new identity. She now feels one with this team. She does not need long time of friendship for until she can become one. I know that there's human experiential things that we walk through. We work out our salvation. I get that. But actually, when someone gets saved, and they are truly saved, have embraced Jesus, they are instantly our brother and sister. It's not that, you know, yeah, can I take a, take a good three years before I refer to you as a brother? Because I've been hurt too many times. And people that are going to be saved by Jesus do not have to be subjected to your form of disappointments. You've been, been saved for a number of years. You've been betrayed and the stuff has happened to you. But somebody's going to be saved tomorrow. You guys say, I need to check you out. Because now I have a principle <laughs> that actually before you come for dinner to sit at the table with my children, <laughs> I need to have at least seen you for two years. Because, man, I've seen things. I've been around. <laughs> Stuff's been done to me. It's like, come on. Stuff was done to Jesus ultimately. And he loves you. <laughs> so just go, go out and love people and be fluid. Be fluid. Say, look at your neighbor and say, be fluid. Yeah. Just love God's people. You know? Carry the marks of Christ and walk. Walk the journey. He's going to keep on adding people. There's going to be new people. Yeah? You know? There's going to be new people. And we want to keep embracing. That's the way to do it. It's like, I embrace you, Wenzel, my brother. I'm going to sit with you. It's like, my former experiences don't have to influence that. Every time a new experience in Christ, a new fresh it is from the Lord, fresh from the Lord. Amen? That's how it works. Yeah. We don't want suspicious people in this church. Amen? We want people that are free to walk in community, to keep walking in the principle of community, because that's the order of creation, actually. If you don't do that, you lose a part of yourself. Do you know that? Do you know that sometimes when you try to save yourself, you lose yourself? When you save your time and get stingy with your time and won't invite people to your house, won't make time for dinners and lunch, you actually lose a part of you. Do you know this mystery? It's a mystery. And when you think you, you have your life, you lose it. How strange is that principle? And when you lose it, that's when you gain it. When you give away your time and interact with people, that's when you gain yourself. It's like you discover who you, who you truly are. You will never discover who you truly are in your bedroom. Your television is not going to tell you who you truly are. I'm telling you the truth. You can only discover yourself in the context of community. Only in the context of community can you discover yourself. 
So when we walk in the midst of brothers and sisters, then you discover yourself. You discover the Christ anointing in you. Because gift is given for the common good. So unless you are in the common expression and the common experience of the people. But you know, when you're grumpy and depressed, you know what, how you know that? You retreat, you want to be yourself, with yourself. And you think that by being, and have you tried this? You can try this. And spend a lot of time. Maybe I need <laughs> two more hours just with myself. You never find you. You will never find you. I can tell you that. You know where you're going to find you? At CKH. That's where you're going to find you. Come on. Yeah, exactly. That's where you're going to find you at CKH. You're not going to find you in bed, I tell you. The pillows are never going to be able to tell you who you are. They can just take, take your tears and they dry and they become crusty. <laughs> but they don't have the capacity to tell you who you really are. It's only God in the context of community he can tell you who you are. But actually the enemy deceives you. He's like, oh yeah, my time is being abused. <laughs> You're abusing my time, the people of God. You know, it's amazing. Life is a mystery. It's like, it's amazing how we find ourselves in contexts where we're interacting with people. You know, it's like we find ourselves. We find the God deposit in us. Because the God nature is never designed to be selfish. So in, a, in an attitude of selfishness, you will never find God. Never. God will always be found in a context of sacrifice and of giving away because that's, he's a God of generosity. That's when we find God. So we can do everything and steward our time. Now, the world teaches us this thing, steward your time. You know, we say all the clever things. Don't just allow anybody. But actually, Jesus says, well, allow anybody. Yeah, just be free and relax, be fluid. Relax. And in allowing everybody, you find yourself. And when you find yourself, you find meaning. You find your joy. Amen? But the other road is depressing. It's depression and more depression. It's either that or glory, from glory to glory, or from depression to depression, man. We find ourselves in the context of the brotherhood of the saints. And we want to embrace that. And there's something beautiful about baptism when I am now one with Kai. Yeah. He's no longer having a, a toddler or teenager experience. He's having a spiritual experience. You know, he's fighting spiritual battles. So I, I, we are now brothers. And yes, there's dimensions of parenthood and stuff in the process. But actually, we are now standing shoulder to shoulder against the devil against principalities, how powerful is that? That whether we are men or women, husband or wife, male or female, married or single, it does not matter the context of your earthly identity. The most important thing is the transaction of the Lord in, the, in, in your heart. That transaction knows no gender and it knows no age. And we embrace it as it is, amen. It's a beautiful thing. And so as we baptize people next Sunday, that's what we celebrate. 
and we, as we look at them going into water, like, wow, this is now my brother, my sister. And, you know, they also say the same thing. It's like, wow, we're standing together fighting for something. You know, the, 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 the earthly dimensions of human life don't really matter. The, the demographics of the church don't no longer matter. They, Galatians 3. <laughs> or the size of the church. No, it, those things don't, don't matter. So water baptism helps us. I hope that this has helped all of us to lift up the curtain, to see, to remove the veil, to see the reality of what God calls us into. Amen? It's a beautiful thing that God calls us into. I'm going to stand and pray. Thank you, Jesus. It's a beautiful thing that Jesus calls us into. Bless the name of the Lord.